Amen, amen. Hey, if you would, grab your Bible and get to Ephesians chapter 2 with me. If you don't have a Bible, I would encourage you to pull it up on a phone or any device, but I really want you to have God's Word in front of you this morning. We are in, uh, we're in the midst of this beautiful chapter that we have in the Bible that's so important. We saw the importance of it last week as we began it in that first paragraph of Ephesians chapter 2 of all that God has done for us to save us from our sin and call us to himself, but there's a beautiful application that we get to in the latter part of Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. And um, uh, to get us into that, I want us to think about this. Um, It's human nature. It can be human nature. One of the unfortunate sides of human nature is that it's easy for us to develop an us versus them mentality. And I think about some of these big ones from, from history. Uh, you look back at our, our, the World War II era and how the world itself was uh, divided between the ally powers and the Axis powers and just a total um, uh, season of history of us versus them. Um, you think, even if you don't know the details of this, we've all heard of uh, kind of the, the brutal family feud between the Hatfields and the McCoys and a total us versus them mentality. And then um, one that is, uh, really, really runs deep is uh, the Colts and the Patriots, right? <laughs> One of my favorite things when I first moved to Indiana was just to uh, jump into the midst of Colts fans talking and just say, you know, I really respect Tom Brady and what the New England Patriots have accomplished. And to watch the, you know, pull the pin on that grenade and watch the explosion happens there. But there's uh, human nature to have a bit of an us versus them mentality. Now, there is, uh, as we look at redemptive history, There is an us versus them uh, rivalry, an us versus them division that runs way back and way deeper than any that I've just mentioned here. And it was the us versus them mentality as it came to Jews and Gentiles. Now, if if you're newer to a faith walk and I say the word Gentile, all that means is not not a Jew. Uh, Someone that doesn't descend from a Jewish line. And, And what you need to understand is Uh, Jews and Gentiles were deeply divided people. And as we walk through this passage today, we'll talk about why that was, and we'll talk most importantly of how Jesus Christ remedied and reconciled that fact. But as we get into the latter part of Ephesians chapter 2, here's what we're going to see. I think the beginning of Ephesians 2 has a tendency to overshadow the back part of Ephesians 2, and and for good reason, right? I mean, we saw last week how we have been saved by grace through faith. It's not our own doing. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that none of us in this room have anything to boast about. Uh, We were confronted with who we were before Jesus. We saw how Jesus was so good by his grace to save us, and we rejoice that he has made us his workmanship. But, but one thing that's always really important for us to remember, especially us Jesus followers who grow up in a very individualistic culture, is that the gospel does not only have individual application for us, the gospel has communal application. And so Ephesians chapter two is absolutely beautiful because in the beginning, what Paul is doing is saying, I want you all to see how Jesus has saved us. How Jesus has saved you and you and you and you and you. But then as he gets to this next paragraph, he's going to mimic the same structure he did in the beginning paragraph. And he's going to say, now y'all, this has corporate reality. This has corporate benefit. 
If the beginning of Ephesians 2 was all about the dividing wall of hostility between us and God has been broken down by the blood of Jesus, guess what the back half is about? The dividing wall of hostility between us and any other believer has been broken down by the wall of Jesus as well, by the blood of Jesus as well. Now, this paragraph is massively important. It's massively important for two reasons. The first, very simply, is this. I'm willing to bet all of us, if not all of us, almost all of us sitting in this room today descend from a Gentile ancestry. This paragraph and what the New Testament teaches is that this gospel, this Messiah that rose out of a Jewish line was a Messiah for all people. We're in this room today because of the reality of what this paragraph teaches. Can a brother get an amen for that? But it's also really important that this paragraph is gonna teach us that uh, there is no dividing wall of hostility that should ever be built between any of us as fellow believers because the blood of Jesus Christ is powerful enough to crush any of those. And so we're gonna pray and we're gonna ask for God's help as we make our way through this. God, please, um, Lord, we as people in our hearts have a tendency to have an us versus them mentality. Lord, we see it throughout history. We see it throughout redemptive history. And Lord, we're confronted today by this beautiful reality that there is no us and them in the, blood of, in the body of Christ. There's just one body. And so Lord, I pray for your help as we make our way through that. God, guide us and lead us. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, if I can from the start, let me just give away what today's sermon is all about. So if someone asked you this week, what is the sermon about? Here's the, the Cliff Notes cheat sheet right here. The, today's sermon is about this, that Christ brings a reconciling peace with God and a unifying peace with each other. The first paragraph of Ephesians 2, as I've already said, uh, unpacks for us the reconciling peace that we have with God. This paragraph that we're about to see here talks about the unifying peace that we enjoy with each other, and we're going to talk about the implications of that. But if you would, uh, re start reading with me in verse 11. It says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in flesh by the hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, d does that sound like good news or bad news? It sounds like bad news. That sounds pretty hopeless. Again, I'm telling you the same structure that Paul just used in the previous paragraph he's using here, and he's making a point, and he's making a point to his Gentile readers. Remember, uh, these are uh, believers uh, following Jesus in the city of Ephesus, and as I've said nearly every week, I don't believe that the letter only had a destination of Ephesus. I believe it circled around to the places where the gospel had gone forth amongst the Gentiles, and Paul wants them to remember something. He wants them to remember a depressing corporate reality. And the depressing, hopeless corporate reality he wants them to remember is this. We were separated, alienated, and strangers of God and his people. Now, 
I want us to write this down this morning because as I've said before, most of us sit in this room, probably all of us or almost all of us sit in this room from a Gentile or a non-Jewish descent. And we too have to be uh, confronted by this corporate reality that we were separated, alienated, strangers of God and strangers of God's people. You go, you go all the way back to Genesis, and you see that God called a man named Abram. And as we walked through Genesis last year, we, we walked through this story, and he said, Abram, I want you to start walking south. And when you get to where I'm telling you to go, I will let you know. And he says, Abram, from you, though, I'm going to give you land, and I'm going to make you a great nation you will be my people and I will be your God. And God covenants with this man named Abram, whose name is quickly changed to Abraham, who grows and has a family and this family becomes the nation of Israel. And these were God's chosen people. And now Paul, on the other side of the cross, he says, I want you to remember something Gentiles. That at one time, you were separated from Christ. Christ means Messiah. The Messiah was going to arise out of this family line. The Messiah would arise out of Israel. And Gentiles, you were separated from that Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were an outsider to this nation, to this people of God. You were strangers to the covenants of promise. These covenants that God had made with his people. You were strangers. You were outsiders. You were on the outside looking into that. And it says having no hope and without God in this world. So this corporate heaviness. The Gentiles, you were on the outside looking in. But God... Just as the linchpin, the hope-filled linchpin of the last paragraph of Ephesians 2 is the same hope-filled linchpin of this paragraph, and here's how. There was something in that covenant that God had made with Abraham that the Jewish people would often lose sight of. In Genesis chapter 12, we read this. It says, I will bless you. This is God talking to Abraham. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse and then what's it say at the end of this? In you, all the, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It was something that was often missing or forgotten amongst the Jewish people, that from this line, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The Lord reiterates it in Genesis chapter 22 when he says, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven as, as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring that shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. From this family, would arise this Messiah, and through this Messiah, all the families or all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And this is exactly where Paul goes next in this paragraph, verse 13. He says, but now, 
So all of that hopelessness, all of the fact that you are estranged and alienated and strangers and on the outside looking in, here's where, again, the soundtrack of the whole paragraph changes. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now look at the riches of this. As hopeless as all the stuff that we read before is, look at the riches of what's said here. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near for through him, we both have access in one spirit to the father. This is, I mean, this is unbelievable news. For every Gentile sitting in the room today, this is unbelievable news. That through Christ, A way has been made. So we were separated, alienated, and strangers of God and his people, but God has now brought us near and destroyed the dividing wall of hostility. There is no more a dividing wall of hostility that separates people, that separates the people in the body of Christ. You see the riches of what's unpacked here. He himself is our peace. Jesus Christ is the way of peace between sinful man and a holy God. And, that's the vertical reality, Jesus Christ is our peace between brothers and sisters in the faith. We have the bond of, of, bond of peace through Jesus Christ. He is our peace. He's made us both One, and he's broken down in his flesh any dividing wall of hostility. Again, so for century after century after century, this dividing wall of hostility of Jew and Gentile through the blood of Christ is broken down. How did he do that? He did that, I'm in verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. And so uh, the way to God is no longer through the law keeping, through the sacrifice, the ordinance of a sacrificial system because Jesus Christ has come and he has perfectly fulfilled the law on our behalf and he became the final sacrifice that now the way to God for both Jew and Gentile is through the blood of Jesus alone that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, and here is what Paul is getting after, so making peace. That he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the, cro- through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And now this is really important. He came and preached peace to you who were far off Gentiles. He came and preached this gospel of peace. That salvation is by grace through faith. Gentiles, he preached that to you. And guess what? He preached that same gospel message to us who are near, to the Jews. That salvation is by grace through faith. So there is no longer two classes. 
There are no longer two groups of people. There is no dividing wall of hostility that separates the body of Christ. There is one in Christ because of the peace made through Jesus Christ. And so, as I said at the outset, this is really important for us who sit here as followers of Jesus from Gentile descent. But this has greater implications and greater practical outworkings than just that. If Jesus was pleased to break down the dividing wall of hostility that for centuries had separated Jew and Gentile, uh, Jesus is pretty passionate about no dividing walls being built up amongst his body, am I right? And so let's, let's wade into this a bit. We know that God is passionate about the unity of his body, about the oneness of his body. And we know, we've just been told, that the blood of Jesus is strong enough to break down any wall that will threaten the unity of his body. And so let me just make a couple practical things, uh, statements, for our day that Jesus wants no ethnic or racial divide in his church today. If, if this is what the work Jesus did in that day to break down every ethnic and racial divide in his body, Jesus doesn't want any of that perpetuating into our day. Jesus wants no division in the body over matters of conscience. Like... How should we respond in a pandemic? Oh, I'm going there. <laughs> Y'all listen to me. Listen to me. I love you. Don't overread into this. I'm not making a statement about this or that. Or I'm just saying we are united by the blood of Jesus Christ not by masking or not masking, not by vaccinating or not vaccinating. I got less preach preaches on that one, right? <laughs> listen, listen to me, body of Jesus Christ. We can have strong opinions on either side of that thing. We can believe what we believe on either side of this thing. But we are united by the blood of Jesus. And a watching world has to see the body of Christ do a better job of walking through this thing unified. I told the others I would carry a shepherding tone through this section. I'm trying to keep it there. <laughs> I'm so grieved. I'm so grieved by how I think we as Christians sometimes lack an understanding of how to discuss things and how to disagree over things and not divide in our discussion and our disagreements. Jesus wants no division. I'm moving on. 
Jesus wants no division in his body over minor doctrinal matters. Now listen to me, listen to me. We're a Bible church, Bible's our middle name, okay? Listen to me now. There are major doctrinal things that if we disagree on or if, it, or if people deny, they're denying the faith. You deny the deity of Jesus Christ, I'm sorry, you're denying the faith. You deny the Trinitarian nature of God, I, I'm gonna say you're denying. The, there's majors, right? There's majors. Everyone say there's majors. majors. Now there's minors. We don't gotta divide over the minors. You premillennial, is your eschatology premillennial or amillennial? I don't know, we can grab a cup of coffee and a scone and talk that out. And we can pray it out at the end of it and come worship together on Sunday, you with me? Every dividing wall of hostility has been broken down through the blood of Jesus Christ. We don't need to do the hard work of trying to resurrect any of those dividing walls of hostility. There is no dividing wall between a group of people who worship in one expression of a local church and another group of people who worship in another right local expression of a local church. So there's no dividing wall between the Redeemer Bible Church and Life Point Church. There's no dividing wall between Redeemer Bible Church and Mount Pleasant. There's no dividing wall between us and Community Church of Green. We are gathered this morning all over the south side and beyond for the glory and the name and fame of Jesus Christ. And we can wear our t-shirts that communicate our local expression of that body and we can high five each other in the Walmart aisles as we go by saying praise God. Or Kroger or Meyer, or wherever you shop. <laughs> now those are big categories. Now maybe let me get what might be even harder. Maybe some of us personally have divided with other brothers and sisters in the faith that we shouldn't be divided with. Maybe some of these things I've just listed, matters of the conscience or minor doctrinal things led to discussions that led to disagreements that led to divisions. And maybe this week your cup of coffee and scone needs to be with someone to mend that. And to say if the blood of Jesus has broken down every dividing wall of hostility, there should not be one between our hearts. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Christ has made us one by his blood, so we must know how Jesus' followers 
And I'm not, ta- I'm not saying I've always been the model of this. I wear passion on my sleeve. But we gotta know how to discuss and to disagree and to not divide over things we shouldn't divide over. That's the implication, the communal, the corporate implication that the gospel works through the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, I keep saying this, but last week we were looking at the vertical reality of how God through Christ has reconciled sinful people to a holy God. This week what Paul's doing and he's saying how God through Christ has reconciled people regardless of their background into one body in Christ. Breaking down the dividing walls of hostility. This unity, this oneness is so, so, so important on the heart of God. So much so that in Jesus' high priestly prayer, John 17, you know what he prayed for? God, I pray you'd make them one. Make them one. Make them unified. Make them unified. That the world would look in on this one unified body and say, there is something supernatural at work there because humans don't act like that with each other. This is the power of the gospel. This isn't some kumbaya sermon and we're all going to hold hands and sing kumbaya together at the end of it. No, no, no. This is gospel stuff here. We can do the kumbaya thing if you want, but now why is this so important on the heart of God? He gets into that in the last part of the paragraph here. Verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of, and what's the expression he uses next? Members of what? Members of the household of God. I love that expression. I love that, that Paul didn't say, and, and now Gentiles, be encouraged that uh, you are fellow heirs with the saints and you're part of this organization of the church or you're, you're in the club. He says, no, no, no. You're part of the household of God. You're part of the family. And this household of God, verse 20, is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy what? A holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Why is this understanding of gospel oneness, gospel unity, the reconciling power of God between God and sinful man, the unifying power of God between fellow believers. Why is that so important? It's so important for this. We were separated, alienated, strangers of God and his people, but God has now brought us near and destroyed the dividing wall of hostility. Now we're, now what are we? Now we are one household, built into one dwelling place for God. This is why the oneness and the unity is so important to him. Because church, we make up something very powerful. 
It's not because we in and of ourselves are special. It's because God has deemed something very, very important for his body. And what is that? Well, God has always been a dwelling God, a holy God who desires to dwell among his people. We saw it in the beginning of the Bible in the garden. We saw it even after sin had come and, and, and stained this world in the formation of the tabernacle. We saw that portable tabernacle become more permanent in nature with the temple. We've seen how God desires to dwell among us in Christ. Gospel of John, the word became flesh and dwelt or tabernacled among us. We've seen how even in the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit is sent to dwell inside of us, that our bodies now are a temple of the Holy Spirit, and as we unify together as legitimate believers in Jesus Christ, look at what it says here about us, that we're a holy temple in the Lord, In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is big time stuff we have to get. That if we are a dwelling place for God by the Spirit, how could there be disunity in that or a lack of oneness of that? Holy Spirit, unify our hearts so we can represent the dwelling place of God as we ought to. is massive, that Christ brings a reconciling peace with God and a unifying peace with each other. Every wall of hostility broken down, we now dwell together as followers of Jesus and dwelt by his spirit as a dwelling place for God. And so I just ask us, are there any dividing walls of hostility that the blood of Jesus Christ cannot break down amongst his body? The answer to that is no. And I get more pointed. Have you let any dividing walls of hostility arise between you and other family members of the household of God that should not be built because of the work of the blood of Christ. And how importantly for us, as a local expression of this body, who in four weeks are going to make a big transition, and y'all in the midst of that transition, guess what, nothing changes. The shell that we meet in changes, but we're still gonna sing to the Lord Jesus Christ the way we always have. And we're still gonna grab this wooden table from a side of a stage, carry it to the middle, and I promise you the first words out of my mouth will still be open your Bible to. That nothing would infiltrate this body that would seek to build a dividing wall of hostility, guess what? Because the blood of Jesus has already broken that down. Amen? Amen. And so, Ephesians chapter 2. 
this beautiful picture of how through the blood of Jesus, sinful people are reconciled to a holy God and sinful people are united together as one body regardless of any past hostile dividing walls that were there. This is the power of the gospel and what Jesus has done by his blood, amen? So church, if you would stand to your feet. God, my prayer today is that you would apply this to us. Lord, I ask for your help in understanding how passionate you are about the unity and oneness of your body. Lord, I pray for help for us in the room who may need to have hard conversations where forgiveness is sought or forgiveness is granted or reconciliation is happening because Lord, we just in our human nature can so easily resurrect us and them mentalities but in the body of Christ, Lord, there is no us and them. We have been, uh, you have been our peace. You are our peace. Making the two one And Lord, if you have destroyed the dividing wall of hostility that ran for centuries, 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 and centuries between Jew and Gentile, you can destroy any dividing wall that's been resurrected. But Lord, we need your spirit to do that work. So we invite you and we ask you that you would do that. Why? So that you will be glorified in your body that you would be magnified because you are worthy of it all. For from you, through you, to you are all things. Jesus, be glorified.